technology shapes and influences every aspect of our lives today, and we're only beginning to scratch the surface of understanding how it will radically change the way we live and work in the future. Coming up... As the telcos upgrade the hardware to make 5G possible, am I going to have to upgrade my data plan along the way? The operators have uh, said that basically the average data consumption they had increased from roughly 9, 10 gigabytes per month to approaching 25 gigabytes per month. Uh, so it was a significant uptick. You're listening to The Future Rhythmic Podcast with Michael Hainsworth, a Nokia original series. introduction of 4G wireless was largely seen as just an upgrade to 3G. Everything got faster, everything got more responsive. But what about the next big leap? Stefan Pongratz is a veteran telecom analyst. As the VP of Del Oro Group, he witnessed the development and deployment of 4G LTE and says 5G is more than just one more G, and its adoption rate is three times faster than the generation we're using today. We reached him at his standing desk in Redwood City, California, and began by looking ahead to what 2020 has in store. Five years off to a, to a good start. We cover it from a mobile infrastructure perspective. Uh, I would say that the market accelerated very rapidly in 2019, and for 2020, we are excited about the progress it's gonna, we, that we're gonna continue to make. Uh, we think uh, it's going to continue to grow the, the overall mobile infrastructure market. I think we will continue to advance on the uh, existing use cases, but there will also be some uh, preliminary continued progress with some of the new use cases that we, we've seen. So overall, it should, be, uh, it should be an exciting year. I've read that by this summer, we'll see 2.6 billion 5G subscribers in five years from now. Two-thirds of the world's population will have access to 5G, and by that time, almost half of mobile traffic will use it. Do those figures jibe with your outlook? Yes. For, for the most part, I think in, in general, as uh, I mean, we've seen a, a tremendous uh, uptick when it comes to 5G now in the short term. I would say that the, uh, the market is actually developing rapidly. We had at least five consecutive quarters of growth uh, reflecting in the overall what we call the mobile infrastructure market, the radio access network marketing, reflecting large-scale rollouts in, in China, in the US, in the Korea. It's the longest growth streak we've seen in more than a decade. I would say that 5G is coming in at a much faster pace than uh, expected uh, already in, in 2019, for the full year 2019, accounting for a double-digit double digit share of how the operators allocate their uh, CapEx budgets. If you look at some of the subscriber trends and uh, the and how the operators spend their money, I would say that they're roughly three years ahead, at least five years, roughly three years ahead of LTE when it comes to, to both the CapEx and the subscriber adoptions. And as we look forward, then I would say that we we are optimistic about the, the, the near-term opportunities with 5, 5G. Well, of course, at the same time, recognizing that it will take some time for the for the long-term 5G vision to materialize. So uh, I would say within that then, but the numbers that you are referencing, um, I, I believe that you, uh, it, those coming from one of the, uh, the Ericsson Mobility Report and, and, and a lot of that is driven by the existing use case, the mobile broadband. And, but so that we see that uh, uh, progressing at a very rapid pace, yes. Oh, that's interesting. So the idea that we could see 2.6 some odd billion subscribers 
um, by halfway through the year is based not on what 5G is capable of doing over what 4G was capable of doing. That's based pretty much on, well, if we look at what people are doing with 4G, that's what we can translate to 5G. So that's not even taking into consideration the advances that 5G makes over 4G and the new applications that could arise. You're correct. That's primarily driven by the existing mobile broadband use case. Then on top of that, uh, and that, that's uh, uh, predominantly driven by, I would say, smartphones, and of course, some, some tablets, but predominantly uh, smartphones. And then on, on top of that, you're correct, there's this shift towards uh, that we call the IoT, uh, Internet of Things, um, and, and there will be some upside there as well. Probably not so much over the next five years. IoT for uh, IoT today, or the, 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 uh, this uh, ability to connect the machines and, and, and have them um, communicate, it, that is now uh, primarily confined to what we call the, the 4G network, and they're relying on that. And then over time, um, uh, there will be some um, migration from 4G to 5G, but that's going to take some time. So for, for, the, for the 5G outlook, uh, yes, mobile broadband is the uh, primary driver of the next five years. As the telcos upgrade the hardware to make 5G possible, am I going to have to upgrade my data plan along the way? Like, I've got an 11 gig plan already, but I'm told to expect the usage to more than double under 5G, 24, 25 gigabytes a month consumed by just the average consumer, let alone Industry 4.0, is something that we can expect. The term 5G is, is being thrown out uh, fairly loosely. Uh, I would say that uh, the, the, the term itself means different things to different people. Uh, and, and probably more importantly, I think the meaning will likely morph over time. So at, at a high level, I agree with you. Uh, 5G is the next generation wireless technology. It, it's going to deliver faster speeds, the data buckets. Uh, it will allow the service providers to deliver larger data buckets. Uh, there, will, there are other benefits of better responsiveness, and but overall improved capacity now for the use cases that we're familiar with today. Uh, I would say that there are, but from a technology perspective, it's worth pointing out that there's a gap between the various 5G options. We have just, uh, I would say first we should divide it into two high-level categories. It's the, uh, the smartphones and, and the machines, uh, uh, or humans versus machines. But from the smartphone perspective, I would then divide in 5G into different buckets. We have basically what we call really high-performance 5G, uh, that tend to use higher spectrum uh, with larger bandwidths. There's a significant incremental performance upside when you shift from 4G to 5G. We have the, the what we call the mid-band 5G. That's another type of 5G. Uh, that's the one that's the, the majority of the operators around the world are deploying today or utilizing that spectrum. And they will see significant performance upside. And then uh, there's also what we call a 5G low-band where the operators are have typically more narrow channels, they will uh, eventually use some technologies to, to migrate their existing LTE spectrum to 5G. But I think the important part here is that there's very different 5G. So what, what you hear in the, in the marketing campaigns that will depend a little bit on the type of 5G that you, you're going to upgrade to. What we've seen in the early advanced, uh, the early adopter markets, like in, for example, in Korea, you're correct. Uh, that the data buckets are significantly larger because they're using something called the mid-band spectrum. They have the, the, the operators there have an average 80 to 100 megahertz of spectrum, so they can realize significant 
capacity improvements. And we've seen the preliminary data points. I, I saw something from June that the operators had uh, said that basically the average data consumption they had increased from roughly 9, 10 gigabytes per month to approaching 25 gigabytes per month. Uh, so it was a significant uptick. Uh, then whether or not you use that much extra, that will depend on a, a confluence of factors. But uh, we see uh, some of the trends are that the, the buckets are uh, growing, yes. It strikes me that while consumer-based 5G gets a lot of the attention, that the real advances will be made in the IoT side of the equation, that Industry 4.0 Tell me if that's accurate, and, and how does Del Oro Group cover 5G? We're a market research firm based in the U.S. We cover the enterprise network, the data center IT, and the telecom infrastructure-related market segments. When it comes to 5G specifically, I would say it impacts many or most of our programs. I mean, just the sheer fact that we are now in this migration, but we haven't specifically broken out the technologies in, in, in all the programs. And in that sense, uh, we're specifically where you can, we have a line item of 5G that's more confined to the mobile infrastructure radio access network, uh, also abbreviated as RAN, and I would say, and the mobile network core program. So in the RAN and the core, those are two important network elements in the overall telecom network. I would say we focus on today uh, and tomorrow, meaning that we, when we analyze 5G, we provide, let's say, market shares for the mobile infrastructure players today. Uh, at the same time, of course, we we also want to look into the future and analyze the trends that, that could impact the uh, the market over the next uh, five years, typically, is, is how far we try to go. And so we have a five-year forecast at a market level that, that, that looks at 5G. When, when it comes to uh, your second question, what was uh, in terms of what's driving the interest, I guess, I, I would agree that if you follow the media the, the, where the hype is, a lot of it has been on the on the consumer-related segments, uh, particularly the smartphone and now the hype and marketing activity are, uh, around all the different uh, 5G launches. And you're correct. There may not be that significant amount of revenue upside, uh, I would just say, in, in those segments, but that also doesn't mean it's not important. I would say on the contrary, I would say that 5G is extremely important uh, from a consumer perspective because that's... The service providers are operating in an environment where, where people are basically consuming more data, but they're actually not paying much more for the service. If you think about yourself, I'm guessing your phone bill is not that much more today than it was last year. If you add it up, all the consumers around the world, you basically you get that the worldwide operate revenues, they're now flat around basically $1 trillion per year, roughly, or about 1% to 1.5% of worldwide GDP. That's if you add up. The revenues, the wireless revenues from AT&T, the Verizon, but also in China Mobile and, and NTT Doku in Japan, all of the operators around the world. But at the same time, uh, the operators, they need to support the data traffic growth that shows few signs of, of abating. Just to give you a data point here, since Apple introduced the smartphone in, back in 2007, mobile data traffic has advanced nearly a thousand fold. And according to Ericsson's mobility report, data traffic is still growing more than 50% per year. So this is basically the math that the service providers now need to contend with. Mobile data traffic is now growing more than 50% per year, but the revenues are essentially flat. They're implying they have to invest in new, more efficient technologies to ensure their networks can support the incre incremental capacity. I agree with your assessment that, that the, the consumer uh, part is not perhaps the most uh, sexy aspect, 
uh, and the excitement is some of, uh, around some of these um, new technologies. This is where the money is. I mean, it's we're talking one trillion dollars in revenue, several hundred billion dollars a year of EBITDA. It's a it's a profitable business. If you want to uh, be successful, you you basically you need to invest in this technology. So I think from the operator perspective, the conversation has really shifted over the past couple of years. I mean, initially the question was, what is the business case for five? Just like you're uh, asking right now. And, and how can I justify this investment? I think now the operators are asking, how can I basically justify the investment in LTE when mid-band 5G is so much cheaper, so much more efficient? Because at the end of the day, for every $100 that the operators earn in wireless revenues, they're going to invest $15, 15 or so in, in wireless CapEx. $3 of this is going to be used for this radio access network, meaning that the majority of the CapEx, and in this case, the total cost of ownership is actually being absorbed outside of the radio access network. So if you're going to pay for all these other non-RAN related expenses, how can you justify putting up a radio that covers, let's say, a fifth of the bandwidth of some of this uh, mid-band or the, the C-band bandwidth that they have available? So the math in that case is not adding up, and that is one of the reasons that the operators are rushing to deploy 5G. So yes, it's not perhaps delivering significant incremental revenue upside, but it is reducing uh, the total cost of ownership. And the operators that take that step they're going to have an advantage of the operators that do not. And that's one of the reasons we'll see. But then beyond that, of course, so, so you can say that right now it's a little bit more focused on the supply side. Of course, at some point you, you want to find new revenue opportunities. And, and that's where, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out what that's going to be. I, in general, I would say the manufacturing sector is, is definitely an opportunity that is rather interesting um, for the long term. I think that's reflecting both uh, the size and the state of manufacturing. I mean, some of the equipment suppliers have shared some numbers. They estimate there are basically more than 10 million industrial manufacturing sites around the world, several couple of millions of warehouses. And um, the, the, if you look at some of the stats from the World Economic Forum, I mean, the reality is that the manufacturing accounts for roughly a third of uh, worldwide GDP, implying that even if they invest only, let's say, 0.1% of this into connectivity, the upside would be equivalent to the existing size of the uh, mobile infrastructure market. I think another important point uh, that one of the suppliers made at a recent analyst event is that the fact that we are in the middle of this fourth industrial revolution, the majority of the manufacturing, or more than 50%, is still done manually. So it's, we're basically not taking advantage of the, the progress that, that can be harnessed with augmented reality and advanced robots, uh, analytics, uh, and another important point is that a significant portion of the downtime in manufacturing is due to, let's say, equipment problems. So there's a lot of upside with AI and sensors. There's a lot of uh, different potential areas for that 5G can address in the future, but there's no doubt that the manufacturing sector is gaining some momentum. Yeah, it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting. What's your greatest observation watching the rollout of 5G so far? Good question. I think the first part is that in this initial phase, it is a little bit more of another G, uh, I would say. It, it's, it's, it, I guess it, it, Right, it's not just one more G. <laughs> it is, it is uh, a little bit more of a one more G now in this initial phase. But I would also say that there are uh, significant differences between, you know, uh, LTE and 5G. I've been, we've covered the RAM market since the year 2000. So you've seen that rollout of LTE and 5G. 
yeah, I've been doing this since 2010, so I kind of seen the the comparison with 4G and 5G, and I, I would say that things are happening at a much faster pace. If we compare to this, I saw the thing how things were materializing with the LTE space, with, with some of the preliminary observations, both from a subs and subscriber and uh, capex developments. We're we're talking three years ahead of schedule compared to LTE. The other observation is that not only is, is, are things happening at a much faster pace, but the operators and the suppliers, they need to manage a much more complex environment, both from a supply and demand perspective. Uh, so there's much more happening in that sense. They need to deal with, not like I said, not just one uniform type of a 5G with one uniform architecture. They would now deal with multiple architectures, with multiple RF power levels. They could be uh, basically a small cell, a macro cell. Uh, it could be, uh, in some cases, deploying a technology called massive MIMO. In some cases, they're using not massive MIMO. It's millimeter wave versus sub gigahertz. And um, so there's a lot more happening there. Another key observation, I think, is that the operators are, for the most part, uh, utilizing their uh, existing, what we call macro grid. Uh, that is that uh, this is the grid that they have been Supply, uh, developing over the past 20, 30 years, deploying 1G, 2G, 3G, 4G, and, and, and they're able to leverage that. That's one key, I should say, difference compared to how we, and I should say, the consensus was perhaps five, six years ago on how 5G was developed. So we don't actually need that many new sites for the sub-6 years 5G uh, deployments. They can leverage new technologies to improve the range and, and therefore leverage much of the uh, existing infrastructure. At the same time, we have seen, and, and what has surprised me particularly, has been the, the rapid shift, as you say, from 4G to 5G when it comes to in-building in deployment. So the, the way that the operators are deploying 5G today, the signal is, is doing great from an outdoor perspective, leveraging that existing grid. The, outdoor, the range is, is, is rather compelling and, and comparable to the, uh, the 4G um, uh, propagation characteristics. But the signals have problem protruding uh, when it goes inside buildings. There's a, there's a, there's a loss there between, uh, for, for, because it's operating a slightly higher band in this mid-band. So that has resulted in a significant uptick in 5G investments uh, on the uh, for the in-building, for large in-building, so we, we, in the shift from 4G to 5G, that took several years before the operators even considered investing in in-building uh, infrastructure. Now the operators are already from the get-go investing in that um, uh, upfront because they, 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 they're trying to uh, make sure that the, the, the performance delta uh, is, is not uh, too significant depending on your location, but that's definitely one of the challenges. Ah. Okay, so this helps explain some of the research that I was doing in advance of our conversation insofar as mid-band massive uh, MIMO, the, the, the multiple in, multiple out technology, that's the recipient of the majority of the capital expenditures we saw in 2019. And so that's the, the majority being sending those signals out into the world broadly, but low band and millimeter wave 5G deployments are seeing greater growth rates, even if it's not the biggest piece of the capital expenditure pie. So it sounds like what you're telling me is the industry is recognizing that if we really want to fully take advantage of 5G, we have to start outfitting 
these buildings, these corridors, these systems in our cities to accommodate 5G indoors because we've already pretty much figured out how to do it outdoors. Yes, a couple of points there. First, I would say, uh, yeah, I'm not sure exactly which, which, uh, w- what articles you read there, but uh, it's possible that some of it came from us because we have seen some of those trends. 5G now, we have, what is it, three, four, almost a year, uh, I guess, worth of data. And particularly in the beginning, it was primarily driven, like you said, by Massive MIMO that, that, uh, that comprised the majority of the CapEx. Then in the second half of 2019, we did see that um, particularly low band uh, started uh, growing, accelerating. And part of that is because the, the, the operators given that the, the, the operation in the U.S., given that the current spectrum positions, so they started uh, accelerating the 5G rollout uh, in the low band, particularly, let's say, T-Mobile has, uh, launched in the, in the second half of 2019, 600 megahertz um, 5G. So we did see uh, that starting accelerating more meaningfully in the second half. Same thing with millimeter wave. It was off to a slow start, but in the second half of 2019, that started improving as well. Uh, that's a little bit more confined uh, again to the to the U.S. market at this point, but but yeah, the, the operators have been, as you say, for the past you know 20, 30 years, they have they they understand the the process of um, upgrading the particularly the macro network uh, for the sub six years very well, and, and they understand the outdoor propagation characteristics, and so that's not not to uh, um, oversimplify the challenges. There's still significant challenges with with five in particular. We're using some of these new technologies, mass and mind, but it's it's something they will uh, and be informing uh, and uh, that, but it's something that they will figure out. But yes, to your second point, to to deliver that uniform experience, um, to to get to some of these promises beyond uh, the, the this mobile broadband, and first of all, to have a uniform experience, outdoor, indoor. Yes, you do need to ramp up your uh, 5G investments indoor. And that, that is going to be challenging. We know that because we we have uh, talked about this now of, of, of basically uh, crossing this enterprise chasm um, for, with inbuilding technology, cellular inbuilding technology. For, we have also talked about it for more than a decade and we still have not crossed the enterprise chasm. There's, it's, not, um, uh, it's not overly straightforward from a, from a business case perspective. It introduces new challenges because the service providers uh, cannot um, uh, scale to that point and uh, address every single um, building that there is. And so that prevents new challenges. Uh, one of the good, uh, one of the, uh, good things with 5G is that there's a lot of progress now happening in conjunction. And one of them is that there is more spectrum that is dedicated for, for 5G, and that could simplify uh, the, the uh, the ease of uh, for some of the enterprise to, to, to tackle this themselves, but yeah, it, there's no doubt that the in the in building aspect is going to be a challenge. We know the service providers are very keen on addressing the larger uh, larger buildings, some of the public spaces, airports, etc. But they're going beyond the airports and the shopping malls. Uh, that that's going to be a challenge. Yes. One of the the biggest differences between 4G and 5G that I try to explain to people beyond, you know, your download of an HD movie will go from four and a half minutes to 1.2 seconds. The latency goes from 100 milliseconds down to one. The number of individual connections a single tower can achieve is tens of thousands versus hundreds or so. 
But it strikes me that the, the biggest value opportunity in 5G comes from private networks and network slicing. The ability to allocate an entire piece of the network to a single enterprise customer, maybe under their own name or brand, as one of the biggest opportunities in 5G. How is that different than private 5G networks? Correct, that there will be significant improvements uh, when it comes to response time and, and, and broadband speeds, etc. But it, it will be uh, fairly gradual, depending on the type of 5G network that you have sure. and, and where, where you're sitting today. So we will. I, I just want to frame that for the users. You're not going to see, most likely, a uh, uh, hundred time improvement in speed throughput or response time. Uh, that I, I would say that's it's highly unlikely. What we but so like I'll give an example in Korea, they might have gone from let's say thirty to forty megabit per second on average to now uh, hundreds of megabit per second on average. So it's not going to. I mean that's and and that, that's they have a good um, good spectrum over there. So I, I think that and then of course the the actual uh, performance that you'll see will depend a little bit again on once uh, on the type of five G network that you are. Um, um, that, that your service provider will, will launch, and then and there will be significant uh, uh, variations within that. So that's the first part to verify. And then, and you, I think your second question was, what what is the difference between uh, network slicing and private networks? Well, I think private networks. The way we are um, thinking about it is that it's 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 a network that is not uh, accessible to the public. Um, and, and that's, uh, um, I know that definition can be a little bit blurry and not, not, not everybody. Uh, so that is a network that can be uh, deployed by both an enterprise or uh, a service provider that's allocating a, a, a certain piece of that, um, uh, of their existing mobile network to, to manage the, uh, to, deal with the, to deal with the private network. And the network slicing then is, is basically uh, a technology that enables, let's say, the operators to take their existing network, but then take a slice of that network and and set it up with different KPIs and 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 and, and manage the access of that. I would say that's the the the, the key difference uh, there. So, but I think one of the key points here is that private networks can be uh, deployed both by enterprises, but they can also be addressed by the service providers using this network slicing technology. So if I was to simplify it, this is kind of like the difference between a, uh, my personal Wi-Fi network being accessible to my neighbors versus me hiding that name and only me knowing about it. I can imagine then that the real-world applications are pretty much exclusively in that um, IoT and Industry 4.0 world where you're not sharing with the rest of the world what your wireless network is. This is a, a, a more secure form of ensuring that you've got that dedicated system. Correct. I mean, yeah, that is uh, a fairly good uh, analogy. Uh, but but that, that's, the, that's the ultimate premise behind private network is that you want to ensure, you want to guarantee the quality of service that, that um, uh, first of all, from the cellular uh, Connectivity, because the reality is a lot of this today. A lot of the enterprise, obviously, Wi-Fi is the de facto uh, technology. You leveraging the unlicensed spectrum, uh, it is uh, used worldwide. But in, in this case, depending on the use case, if if um, they need the quality of service, uh, if they need the reliability, if they need the five nines, if they need a certain latency, then in that case, they might need to use cellular connectivity. It's not completely clear how that will. 
uh, at this point be addressed, depending on if there is um, obviously access to, um, if there's mobile network coverage and they can carve out a slice, you know, that would probably be preferred in many cases, because enterprises don't want to generally manage uh, their own networks, if that's possible. Or it could be some kind of a hybrid that the operator steals with some of the connectivity, but um, you might want to keep some uh, of your, let's say, your databases on site, et cetera. So we'll have to see how that plays out. But overall, for the most part, the key driver is that, yes, you want to ensure a certain quality of service, and therefore you don't, uh, you don't, you might not find that the, the public network is good enough for that type of application. How big do you think private networks will be in 5G versus network slicing versus the public access network? Our assumption is that the mobile broadband business case is very compelling and that will drive the lion's share of the overall public versus private spending over the next five years. I would say in addition, we see that there's a lot of opportunities with just 4G, for 4G to address the existing demand for private infrastructure. In that regard, <laughs> 5G, uh, it will probably take a little bit of time. If you think about it, like here in the US where they have allocated, let's say, the CBRS spectrum, initially now it, uh, it is uh, happening first with the LTE layer, and then eventually it might migrate to 5G. So that's, uh, I'm just trying to rationalize why our private-private component is, is rather small over the next five years. If you ask me over 10 or 15 years, I haven't done a detailed analysis like that, but, but just, well, uh, I mean, thinking the big picture, then my answer would differ. It would most likely comprise a larger share. I mean, we are, uh, I mean, what we've said is that we, yeah, initially 5G would be just another G, but longer term, I, I do think over time, uh, it's gonna migrate to 5G. There's gonna be uh, applications uh, that uh, you cannot do, uh, address with 4G, that uh, we've seen, it's, it's, I would say it's extremely early days, and we, we've done some of these new use cases, but I think there's a lot of interesting applications and, and proof points already. Stefan Pongratz is the vice president of Del Oro Group. He joined us from Redwood City, California. See the future. Listen to what's next. Read about world-changing ideas. All by visiting futurhythmic.com. The Future Rhythmic Podcast with Michael Hainsworth is a Nokia original series.